Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this fireside chat. I'm Anthony Smith, Chief Economist here at FreightWaves, and this is Global Supply Chain Week. And we are definitely talking automotive. And I am certainly excited for this conversation because it's not often we get to chat from an economist to another economist. And today I'm joined by Charlie Chesbro. He is the Senior Economist and Senior Director of Industry Insights over at Cox Automotive. Charlie, so much to talk about, and it's so great to have you here today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. So, Charlie, I mean, there's just so many things to cover when you're looking at the automotive industry. Um, there's been so many changes, of course. We're talking about pre-COVID, missed the COVID, towards the end or, or, or latter half of COVID, um, now, you know, endemic post-COVID. And so there's just been so many ups, downs, constraints. Um, before we get into, I guess, the 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 industry itself, I'm guessing a big part of it is also not just going to come down to, of course, the supply of the vehicles, but also the demand. I mean, I can only imagine the state of the consumer has definitely been a big impact over the last few months here. Well, it's and it's definitely been changing. You know, the, the Fed's been raising interest rates for almost a year now. And so we thought when the supply chain came back that there'd be a whole bunch of folks lined up to buy these vehicles that they've been waiting on. Uh, but that was when interest rates were, uh, you know, a few hundred basis points lower and they're now substantially higher. So I think that's chased some of the demand away. So that's what the industry's kind of struggling with right now is, uh, the, the inventory is slowly recovering, but, uh, demand is kind of getting peeled away because of these high prices and high interest rates. And so that's, that's a huge one right there. You mentioned inventories. And so sticking on that topic of inventories, I mean, um, one of the big things, of course, that, demand spike that we saw throughout the pandemic. We saw, of course, deployments of um, stimulus packages, uh, record low interest rates um, during that time. Uh, but also, of course, as we know, this is freight waves. We saw supply chain issues, semiconductor shortages, things like that. Um, can you talk to how um, I, I can only imagine the work and process type inventory that, you know, there were vehicles that were just about ready to go, but maybe missing one or two components that were being held up. And now maybe what we're seeing um, since then. Well, that's right. We, we did have a point where uh, the manufacturers, when, when the inventory shortage or the chip shortage was really hitting the market back in 2021, uh, they were, went ahead and built some vehicles and they just left out some of the, some of the components or some of the chips with, with hopes of popping those in later when uh, th those chips became available. That issue has kind of uh, mitigated itself at this point. I don't think there's that many uh, sort of semi-built vehicles out there. I think most of those have been uh, uh, have been completely built at this point. But there are still many other supply issues that are holding up the industry. Uh, the chip shortage still remains, uh, but it's impacting the manufacturers differently. The Detroit Three appear to be uh, in a little bit better situation now regarding their inventory than the uh, the Asian manufacturers. Uh, certainly, we're seeing Toyota and Subaru and Honda and, and Kia. Uh, all of them are, are still way behind in terms of the, their available supply out there in, in the marketplace. Uh, but that's not the situation for the Detroit Three. They, their products appear to be uh, uh, in abundant supply, even some of them. Uh, we're seeing days of supply rise dramatically for many of the Detroit Three. Um, so the chip shortage issue is, is uh, quite varied out there. Not everybody's in the same boat regarding that. But there are other shortages as well. And one of the biggest ones out there right now, certainly for the uh, uh, the domestic manufacturing going on here in North America, is labor uh, availability. There's just not as many hourly workers available anymore to to catch up with this increase in, in production that folks want to do now. 
Uh, and so just getting workers at the, at the plant has been a real challenge. And, and certainly within the supply base, uh, we're hearing quite a bit of, of, of stories of, of uh, labor shortages holding up their ability uh, to produce. Uh, in fact, I do talk to a number of suppliers and they've been saying over the last couple of years, thank goodness everybody's talking about chips because otherwise they'd be talking about my part. Uh, and so uh, it, it has been uh, quite varied out there, but as I said, it is changing and we have seen the supply situation dramatically improve in the aggregate uh, in the U.S. market uh, substantially over the last six months. And I can only imagine, um, of course, throughout really the broad-based macroeconomy labor situation that we've seen throughout the pandemic, of course, um, early days of the pandemic, furloughs were just abound. Um, we saw initial jobs claims spike and um, unemployment rate go up and then, of course, come down since then. But really, the mentality has almost been different within the labor market. And we're looking at um, really being able to retain labor, uh, recruit new labor, training, things like that. Um, do you see the potential? Of course, we hear conversations, of course, that we're going to hear throughout this global supply chain week around nearshoring, reshoring, things like that. I can only imagine when we start to see, you know, uh, topics around reshoring and, and having more production here in the U.S. because labor, human labor can be a little bit more uh, expensive here. Do we start to see more investment into potentially, um, I would say, the technology aspect just to get things a little bit more um, less human dependent. And I, I can only imagine technology really being a, a, a big factor moving forward in this industry. Oh, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, automation, uh, anywhere they can, if they can get a robot to do it versus a worker, I think many manufacturing facilities would certainly lean that way if that's, uh, if that's possible. But I will say within the supply chain, uh, you know, we're talking years from years from now, right? So that it takes years to kind of develop sourcing and uh, make sure you can pass all the quality requirements uh, for a new part, you know, whether it's just a, a simple bolt or a, a big complex part. Uh, it's got to pass all kinds of engineering tests and that type of thing. So generally, the industry is setting up their supply base for production, you know, three, four, five years out. Uh, and there's been a lot of changes. Uh, certainly, the Inflation Reduction Act uh, that was passed uh, last year. Uh, is really going to boost much more domestic uh, manufacturing and investment in domestic manufacturing and domestic suppliers. But they're just starting to break ground on some of those facilities now. It's going to be years before that really starts to impact uh, vehicle supply and the vehicle market. But in terms of, uh, you know, the long-term prospects, I think the outlook for domestic manufacturing certainly, I think, has improved significantly as a result of this Inflation Reduction Act. And uh, I, I think that there is going to be much more reliance on, on being able to provide uh, the key components domestically, or at least within North America, uh, as opposed to relying on a couple of, of chip manufacturers uh, over in Taiwan or even in Japan. Uh, the, the industry has been burned a couple of times. You know, this is just the latest. You know, we've had other chip shortages or similar type issues before, like with the Japanese uh, tsunami back, uh, uh, I think it was 2011. Uh, that certainly uh, was very disruptive. And so uh, I think the industry has kind of learned their their lesson and is now going to be focused more on having domestic supply sources or at least multiple suppliers for some of these more complex components. That definitely makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, of course, spot on um, with the expectation that, you know, with the Inflation Bill Act and, and years down the line is when we're really going to start to see this. Um, when we start, start to thinking about, of, of course, what we're seeing right now in terms of inventory levels, uh, the state of the consumer, um, the, the automotive industry as a whole, 
uh, I can only imagine that um, there's been significant shifts. So as you mentioned, um, inflation definitely was a thing. We look at the latest CPI report, one of the biggest movers um, used cars and vehicles. When we're looking at retail sales from the Census Bureau, we're seeing um, retail sales, you know, really starting to come back in somewhat of a meaningful way um, for, for motor vehicles and things like that. So we're looking at current conditions right now. What do we see as the landscape for um, purchasing a new or used vehicle? Well, I, you know, I think one of the things that's really kind of transitioned uh, in during the, uh, the post-COVID market is that the new vehicle prices have just gone up substantially higher than most people can afford at this point. And I think when you throw on the, the, the increases in, in interest rates that we've had, I think we can say that the new, a new vehicle purchase is not an every American product anymore. Uh, it's, it's for the, the upper uh, echelons of our, of our society. You know, the higher incomes are the folks that, that can buy these things. Uh, we're looking at monthly payments now approaching close to $800 a month for a new vehicle. Uh, and that's simply out of out of uh, range for most Americans. So one of the reasons why we're seeing some relative strength in the used vehicle market, even though interest rates have been going up, is that a lot of folks that would normally buy new have been chased out of the market and they can only afford to be uh, in the used market to get their transportation needs. And so that's, that's increased demand in the used uh, market. And it also means that Everyone had been expecting we'd see a little bit of a give back on used vehicle prices because we had such a big run up during the uh, the supply shortage of 2021 and as well as in 2022. Uh, and prices did start to come come down last year, but they're not coming down anymore. They're starting to rise again. At least we're seeing that at auction. And I think one of those contributing factors is there's a whole bunch of new used vehicle uh buyers out there that weren't in the market before. They were shopping in the new market. And as I said, they've been chased out. Uh, and so the idea that we're going to have falling prices, that we're going to get back to a more normal pricing level, just doesn't seem to be in the cards that uh, uh, we've seen, a, a, I think, a permanent shift in new vehicle and used vehicle prices. They're just going to be more expensive now than they were prior COVID. And, and we're not going to be going back to, to the days of old. And so, Charlie, I think that's a great point that you raised there. And I'm intrigued because I started thinking about, of course, um, so many Americans that, um, you know, purchased a lot of, you know, or purchased a vehicle or two uh, throughout the pandemic. And now looking at where they are now, some of the fears initially, I think, were that, okay, you're buying this used vehicle at a, you know, significantly higher price. And now, um, you know, you're taking on these car note uh, payments. You some folks may run the risk of being upside down in some of these payments. And so are we seeing any risk of that uh, or is that kind of being, you know, dampened a little bit because there is a kind of like a new higher level for these used vehicles and some of these new vehicles as well? Well, it, it certainly is a risk that some folks bought at the peak and, and overpaid probably on their vehicle. But, you know, that's always the case, right? Anytime you even buy a new vehicle, the moment you drive it off, off the dealer lot, you're probably underwater, uh, you know, for the next couple of years. Uh, that's just how the, the, the vehicle market works. Um, I do think that we have seen some folks that have purchased too high and that they're going to be uh, under more risk. But again, as long as they just keep making their payments, there's no, there's no risk. Uh, you know, that vehicle at some point, is still providing all of the, uh, the the needs it was supposed to. It's still it's still getting you where you need to go. Um, if you're trying to trade it in, that's where you're going to have some, some difficulty. But I think the outlook still remains. Um, I think we should say quite optimistic for the vehicle market. That one of the things that we're looking at with the potential of a recession 
uh, on the horizon uh, is that we've already lost a tremendous amount of sales in the in the new and used vehicle market. You know, a lot of folks that have uh, poor credit, lower incomes, they dropped out of the vehicle market. They were chased out when COVID first hit. Uh, they haven't been able to, to purchase for quite some time. Normally, when we slip into a recession, those are the folks that are first to drop out of the markets. We generally see a big dive in vehicle sales, but we've already had that dive. So, you know, if we go back to you know, our normal 17 million run rate was kind of where we were back in 2019, 2018. Well, we did 13.8 million last year. So we already lost a couple of million uh, vehicle buyers out of the market. So if we have a recession now, uh, we've already lost a big chunk. So it's, it's at this point, it'd be more like falling off of a curb than falling off of a cliff. And, and so the downside risk, I think, is a little bit mitigated for the vehicle market, even if we do hit a recession. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's, it's going to make it any easier for consumers that they're still going to, even if we, if we do have a recession, vehicle prices are unlikely to, to fall much lower uh, just because there is still a tremendous amount of demand out there. I think that's an amazing point there. And I think one that, you know, a lot of folks should definitely take into consideration. I mean, we think about, you know, the essentially the, the shakeout already that's already happened from the potential vehicle purchasers. Um, so Charlie, when we're looking at that, the, the consumer, um, with y'all at, uh, at Cox Automotive, um, is there any kind of concern around the labor market? So, of course, right now we see uh, the labor market showing, um, I think it was just over 11 million job openings, the latest report, initial jobs claims still hovering near or around the low 200,000s, uh, unemployment rate still low, participation rate not quite at pre-pandemic levels, but um, there is that, you know, that, that, seemingly strength there. Um, I think the big thing is, is of course, that if we're starting to see headline items like, you know, layoff here, layoff there for a lot of the higher paying roles, Silicon Valley, tech jobs, things like that, um, where there's still a lot of openings for hospitality, you know, um, service type jobs that may not be the highest paying roles. Uh, and and so when we're looking at the, the state of the, the economy on the labor front, um, seemingly strong, but definitely some 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 cracks may be showing um, combined with a lot of consumers taking on record levels of credit card debt and um, non-revolving debt as well. And, and of course, savings rates seeming at lows that we haven't seen in around 15 years or so. Um, are, are there any kind of uh, hesitations around um, what the consumer might be exposed to in the coming months here if there is a, a significant downturn, for, for example? Well, as you said, th- if you look at the numbers right now, there is no recession. You know, everything looks looks pretty good out there. Consumers are still buying. Unemployment's still still uh, low. Uh, these interest rate increases, I think, have surprised everyone that the economy's been able to absorb them as well as it has. Uh, and I, I have to say, in the vehicle market, we thought, well, geez, this is really going to chase off uh, the buyers. But again, we're, we've had such a constrained market in this post-COVID market for so long that uh, even at these higher rates, people are, are still willing to pay them. Um, and people have, you know, it's, it's one of these things where people may have put off a vehicle purchase, but at some point they have to buy that, that their existing vehicle is going to the junkyard or it's just too old. Um, and so those, there's just going to sort of a, a floor in terms of vehicle demand that no matter how bad things get, you're still going to go out there and buy a, buy a vehicle. And um, we just don't see that the vehicle market is, is that vulnerable right now, as I said, because we've already lost a lot of the, the froth that would that sort of keeps the vehicle sales going really strong. But we are concerned that if we have a full-blown recession, you know, make no mistake, if unemployment starts to spike, 
Uh, you know, certainly we're going from historic lows now. It could, it could change quickly here in the next couple of quarters. Uh, that will have a detrimental effect on the vehicle market, uh, no doubt about it. And I think it will, in some ways, maybe mitigate some of these high prices that dealers uh, and the manufacturers may return to doing much more discounting. They, they've pulled back quite a bit uh, on their discounting in, in the new and used market. There is some some uh, margin there that they could give back if they wanted to make that sale. And so uh, I do think that there are some levers that the industry could pull through lower prices, more incentives, more zero for 60 or zero for 72 offers from the manufacturers uh, to move the metal. And our expectation is, is that when things do start to get tough here, probably in the second half of this year, that's exactly what's going to happen. We're going to start to see more and more discounting to keep those sales going along. And so, Charlie, we're looking at the vehicle market as a whole. Um, are we seeing any kind of um, particular interest or, or demand for any type of vehicle? So I, I know, for example, um, many years ago, everyone was just getting rid of their uh, sedans and just kind of leaning into crossovers. And that was a big thing. We even see Ford get rid of most of their, uh, you know, sedans besides the Mustang and then revamp the other side of the Mustang and really go into crossover and EVs. Are we seeing any kind of trends for consumers or what we're seeing for, um, you know, uh, manufacturers in terms of, all right, we're putting out way more effort into uh, EVs or way more effort into crossovers or, you know what, uh, we're really kind of targeting the mid-size sedan market or anything like that? Well, as you said, I, I think those trends that we had prior COVID are continuing now. So there is a continued move to EV as well as hybrid um, and away from smaller type vehicles. Uh, and the reason is, is that those have smaller margin. And so when we had this chip shortage and you had, you know, chips to put in a vehicle, do I put those chips into my low margin vehicles or do I put those chips into my, my highest, most profitable vehicles? And so the industry focused on building a more profitable uh, portfolio mix. And it seems very unlikely they're going to give that up uh, just at the drop of a hat. They're going to try and hang on to that as long as possible. And so when we look into our inventory numbers, uh, you know, you can see that uh, the availability of small car, uh, you know, subcompact car, subcompact SUVs, those remain very, very tight. There just aren't many of those out there, in part because the manufacturers aren't making them and in part because when they can, when folks can get their hands on them, they're gobbling them up. Uh, because people are looking for affordable options in the new vehicle market, but there just aren't as, there just aren't many. So people are kind of forced to have to buy the crossover, uh, and the electric vehicle. When we look forward, uh, clearly the industry is, is moving like gangbusters towards EVs and EVs have really taken off, uh, in this post COVID market. Now, one of the things that we got to keep in mind is that part of the gain that we saw in EVs during this post-COVID market is the Model Y. That thing's been selling, you know, fantastic for Tesla. That's really been moving the needle. Uh, and Tesla still is the uh, the EV story. I mean, there's 70% of EV sales. But when we move forward here over into 2023 and into 2024, there's going to be a lot of competition coming to market in electric vehicles for Tesla. And there's going to be a lot more options out there for consumers. Uh, and so I think the industry is going to be continuing to focus on EVs. But uh, the big question that remains out there is that will there be a low-priced EV? Can somebody get uh, to market, you know, an EV that's, you know, a $30,000, $35,000 EV? Uh, now, we've got the Chevy uh, Bolt. Uh, you know, we had the Nissan Leaf. You know, those are sort of low-cost options, but they're, you know, pretty small vehicles. People generally want a, a larger vehicle. So I think one of the ones to really keep an eye on is, 
the electric blazer that maybe uh, is supposed to be coming out later this year from Chevrolet. Uh, they've talked about a $35,000 price point. Uh, we'll see if they can get there. And certainly the Model 3, uh, you know, they for a long time, Elon was talking about having a $35,000 Model 3. Uh, he's had price cuts recently, and it's getting us closer to that, uh, but we're still not quite there. But um, I think that's what consumers are really waiting for to, uh, is something a little bit more affordable for EVs, because right now they still remain pretty pricey. And I can only imagine um, when we're looking at other vehicles um, and other dealers and, and manufacturers, one of the big things I've heard about, of course, when making those purchases, if the new vehicle isn't there, um, sometimes dealer markups, uh, for example. So you, you might be originally looking to pay, you know, 40000 50000 for a vehicle. Now there's a dealer markup just because inventory is just so tight. And now this is the new price that, you know, you have to pay a little bit of a premium for it. I, I think, I know when we're looking at the electric vehicles, um, I'm sure we have um, a far way to go uh, for infrastructure being built out. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm guessing that was something that was definitely going to be kind of built out in some of the inflation bill uh, act that was passed not too long ago to really kind of um, push that forward. Is that right? That's right. And I think uh, the, the Biden administration just worked out a deal with Tesla to open up their charging infrastructure across the country uh, to other EVs. So that's going to help uh, as well. Uh, but but I think the charging network across the country remains one of the giant obstacles for EV adoption. Uh, you know, anybody who's owned an EV and tried to go long distances can tell you that, uh, uh, you know, you got to really plan ahead and, and, and know your, your path that you're going to be taking so that you're well prepared for where you can charge your vehicle. All right. And Charlie, I mean, this has been an amazing conversation and I, I can honestly go on for another hour or so asking you questions and picking your mind about this industry. But in closing, um, are there any thoughts that you want to leave with our audience outlook for the industry or maybe an answer to a question that I hadn't asked or anything like that? Well, one thing I would suggest uh, for, for your, uh, your viewers to keep an eye on is electric vehicle leasing. And the reason being is, is that in the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, they offered new incentives, discounts of $7,500 on electric vehicles uh, for purchase. But there was all kinds of stipulations on income levels, and uh, it had to be made uh, in the United States, and it had to have uh, batteries that were made in, in friendly countries, um, a lot of requirements. But with commercial vehicles, which lease vehicles would be classified as, there are none of those requirements. And so it does uh, open up the possibility for the manufacturers, if they wanted to lease electric, ve electric vehicles, that they could just put that $7,500 up front uh, and really buy down that price of that vehicle uh, and, and make electric vehicle leasing uh, a much more affordable option than it would be otherwise. And so the, uh, the question is, is how aggressive will the manufacturers embrace this possibility? Because uh, uh, they already kind of are limited on how many EVs they can produce. So they're not quite ready yet. Uh, but it is something to keep an eye on. And I think as we get into 2024 and 2025, when volumes are really going to be start, starting to hum along for electric vehicles from many manufacturers, not just uh, Tesla and Ford, uh, that you're going to see uh, electric vehicle leasing uh, really kind of the hot item out there in the vehicle market. Amazing insights there, Charlie. And thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm sure we'll have to get another conversation with you again soon. Happy to do it. And thank you all so much for tuning in to this Fireside Chat. Stay tuned. There's more content coming up.